0: Good morning. My name is Darren Slater. Very uh, uh, privileged to be able to preach to you this morning. Um, what you just watched was um, justice being done, where a man wrongfully convicted was uh, acquitted by a jury, allowed to go free. And, and if, you're, if you're a lover of true crime, if you, if, you, if you watch the news lately, we see this stuff happening all the time, where uh, someone is wrongfully convicted or where someone has done something heinous and is finally caught and all of us, I think, at that moment go, yes, what was, what's right has been done. Justice has been done. We, and there's this sense of relief that you get. And you, you watched the video with me just now, and you saw a man crumble under the weight of his own freedom. What a tremendous story. And yet this morning, from what Heidi read to us, we've got to face the reality that God's people can sometimes be the wrong party here, Right? Sometimes God people, God's people are the ones enacting the injustice. We're the ones who's locking up the free man. We're the ones who are doing these things. And so if you would, we're going to jump into the book of Micah here. Uh, we're going to kind of go back through the text. We're going to read it a little bit. Uh, we're going we're gonna to break it down into some theological categories, see what the rest of Scripture says about it. Um, before we do that, if you would, just bow your heads with me. Let's say just a quick word of prayer. Ask God to reveal his word to us this morning. Lord, your word is inspired. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, It is a sharp two-edged sword that cuts. And Lord, we pray that you would cut us this morning with it. Reveal to us your will, your word, what you would have to say to us. Open our hearts and our ears to be able to hear what you would say. And Lord, we pray that you'd guide us through your scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in the book of Micah, as Micah the prophet begins to elaborate the indictments uh, uh, toward God's people, we come to the second indictment. Last week, Mike uh, led us through the first indictment, which was idolatry. The fact that they would—the uh, scripture used to love, loves to use the word prostitute. And it seems like that's the right application for the word here, that they would prostitute themselves out to any idol other than their own God. The God who saved them, the God who brought them to himself, who redeemed them from slavery out of Egypt. They would run to any other God but their God. And the, and the, and the scripture loves to use that word as though it's, 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 it's a, just a straight up uh, analogy for what they're doing. And sure enough, that's sort of exactly what's happening here. That They just give themselves away to gain from that God whatever they need, whether it's fertility whether it's uh, a good crop season, whatever it may be, they're chasing after those uh, physical benefits, if you will. And so they, uh, Micah in chapter 1 goes after them and says, stop the idolatry. Stop following after all the gods. Worship the true God, the God who rescued you from Egypt, the God who saved you, the God who brought you to himself and made you part of his family. Well, then this week in chapter 2, Micah begins another indictment. This morning, we're going to talk about injustice. The fact that God's people are uh, uh, guilty of harming others for their own benefit. So if you would, please go ahead and open your Bibles. Make sure you're looking down at your Bibles as we're talking about it in chapter two. Look at verse one and two with me. If you get, again, if you would, please, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil. And then notice this on their beds, When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. Get the imagery here. They go to sleep thinking of evil. They wake up thinking of evil. They go to bed trying to figure out who they can rob and steal from. They wake up thinking about who they can rob and steal from. It's it's a constant cycle of wanting to take and take and take and take. Woe to those who would do that. And Proverbs chapter 4 actually mentions this as a very particular Uh, a a pattern that the church and God's people can get into. It's warning us against that. It says, do not enter the path of wicked, uh, the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on to it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. You you hear the imagery there of, of drunkenness and gluttonous just, it just can't get their fill. It's like there's this longing sensation in the heart of man to get what they want. That's what Micah is indicting God's people of here. Dreaming of injustice. They go to bed thinking about it. They wake up thinking about it. And what are they doing? They're there to they covet fields. They seize them. Chapter, verse 2. Houses. They take them away. They oppress a man in his house. A man in his inheritance. So here we're talking about God's people. And, and throughout the scriptures, Genesis, uh, go back all the way to the book of Judges, as as, as official government as, as, has begun to kind of uh, form itself and take place, and God's uh, people have established a nation, what we begin to see is over and over and over again, we have corrupt people taking from others, ruling in a corrupt way, on and on and on. And there's this, especially go back to the book of Judges, there's a cycle of, of God's people will chase after idols and become unjust and then God will bring an oppressor who will come and oppress them and then uh, they'll be oppressed and downtrodden and so therefore the, the God, people of God will cry out for a savior and then God will send a savior who comes and rescues them and then 40 years later they fall right back into the same thing and do it all over again. This is the story of God's people and I, and I want to uh, couch this into, two, into a theological term to help us process it and think of why, is this, why is it this way? Why why did God's people do this? And we get that answer from a theological term we call total depravity. Uh, You may have heard that before. Common theological uh, uh, term that just simply describes the state of fallen man. The state of sinful man. It's our base nature. And so R.C. Sproul, I think, gives a very good definition for this. Um, He says the term total depravity was coined to mean that sin affects the whole person. And that the total essence of our humanity is fallen. That is, our minds are fallen, our wills are fallen, our bodies are fallen. The whole person is caught up in this fallenness. And so what we see in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 is just the, the, the outcome of that. The ultimate end pattern of that. That it's not good enough for us just to sin and mess up. No, we go to bed dreaming of it. We wake up thinking about it. Um, I I have two quick stories for this one I learned last night and one I experienced yesterday as well for some reason yesterday was the day that God just said here have a gift have a gift of, of, of illustrations for what this looks like so the the very first one is uh took a man out for on a date last night uh she said she wanted to go see the movie the blind has anybody heard that heard that before anybody's a duck dynasty fan Anybody, anybody, a couple of people. Okay. So Phil Robertson, uh, he's the, he's, I, I would say he's the bearded one, but they're all bearded. Right. So that doesn't help. Um, he's, he's, he's the patriarch of the family. Um, he, he's the guy who invented the whole duck call thing. Um, his son eventually took it over and kind of ran it after that. Uh, Willie is his name, right? Uh, if you've watched his show, I think it was on A&E for years. This Duck Dynasty. Great show. Really funny, pretty clean. They did a movie based on Phil Robertson's testimony essentially and they it's it's a full full feature film in the theaters totally recommend. I mean it is just it, it presents just a crystal clear presentation of the gospel it's amazing. Um but but the whole movie is just here's Phil good kid struggling to fe- to help his sisters and his family survive gets married uh does all this stuff and then just cycles downward all the way to living out in the boondocks in a bad mobile home, all this other stuff. And you just kind of see the spiraling of man when, it, when we are left to ourselves. Good story. Good ending. Because he trusts in Jesus. Everything turns around for him. He gets his family back. Great. Wonderful. My other illustration is this. Uh, yesterday, Amanda's doing homework. She needs some time alone, to, to some quiet. Amen. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to get the kids out of the house. So I'm like, all right, what can we do? All right. We're going to go look for some fossils in some creeks nearby. Cool. Let's go do that. So we do this nice round trip. We go to Allenton to the, uh, uh, to the Merrimack River. Uh, we go to a little park kind of down by uh, Tesson Ferry Road. And then we go over to the Chain of Rocks Bridge. Uh, highly recommend. Awesome place to find fossilized wood and stuff. Cool. We do all this stuff with the kids. We're driving home. I got to get Levi to a birthday party. I turn around and look. Dad, put your glasses on. Starts looking. No glasses. Dad, where are your glasses? Starts looking. No glasses. He knows to keep his glasses on his face. He won't do it. So now we have a problem. Where did his glasses go? It's four o'clock. It's getting dark. We got to get back to these places and try to find his glasses. He's got a doctor's appointment coming up soon. Drive to Union all the way from uh, uh, I-270 on the Illinois side. Drive to Union, drop Levi off backtrack all the way back to all those places we'd already been to once looking for his glasses. I skipped the Allenton one thinking, ah, there's no way it was there. And no one was there. It was literally like, if you guys ever want to go to the Merrimack River and be alone, that's the spot. I mean, there's, there was nobody there. i know y'all like to go there. Cool place. Empty. No one's down there. I'm like, well, maybe if they're there, I doubt anybody's been there all day. Sure enough, where were they? In the parking lot, in the gravel just sitting there where they got left. Now, you're like, that sounds like an innocent mistake on a, the part of a six-year-old. And you'd be right, except he knows, because he's heard mom and dad say it 40 billion times, keep your glasses on your face. Because see, as God's people, we are forgetful, are we not? And that is what total depravity does to us. One, one, We forget what God has told us, and so therefore we chase after all the other things. In Thad's particular instance, it was just, I don't want my glasses on. Okay. Cost us about half a tank of gas. No big deal. We found them. But then there's the other side where sin can then, if we're not careful, drive us to the depths of hell. And it takes a miracle to get us out. That miracle is salvation through Jesus Christ for us. But that is what sin does. Depravity in man is what is causing what has happened in verse 1 and 2. As God's people have moved further away from their God, they have now spiraled out of control downward to where now they can't wake up or go to sleep without thinking about how can I rob from my neighbor to get what I want. Total depravity. The initial and base thoughts and actions of us, of mankind, will always lead to this which is essentially injustice. It is what can I take from my fellow man to make me comfortable? What can I do to them that makes that benefits me and does better for me? I'm not going to love my neighbor, I'm going to harm my neighbor. That is the essential of what injustice is. God's people have always been a target of injustice. Go and read your Bible all through the Old Testament and the New. Christians have been martyred. We've been enslaved. The Jewish people as well. We've, we've always faced injustice as God's people. And yet, in this text, we also learn we can also be the biggest perpetrators of it. We can be the ones who are silent when it's happening. This is the truth of where we're at. Um, we, we know that in this text, God is calling out his people. This is, not a, this is not a call to the, the general world saying, Y'all get fixed. No, this is looking at us saying, Woe to you. Before we move on, there, there, there is this, this kind of cool uh, prophetic pattern that Scripture lays out, and we kind of see it as these two different words woe and weal. And we, woe is, is, is a negative pronouncement of judgment, and weal is usually a blessing. And, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of hit that here in just a second. Uh, God's people uh, in verse 3 through 5 are going to be told what's about to happen to them. And, and you need to understand this, that as, as Micah says woe to you and says here comes judgment, in the back of every Israelite's mind is going to be the opposite of that, which is the covenant blessings that God has promised them if they obey him. That's what they've forgotten. That's what they've lost. So as we get to the second point here that uh, Israel is going to be judged for their injustice, that God's people will be brought to correction because of what they're doing, look down at verse 3 with me. You have to understand that in the back of the mind as as, as he's saying this, they've missed the blessing of God, which has already promised them the things that they're trying to take from their fellow man. So we'll get to that here in just a second. Look at verse 3 with me again. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you will not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. And so here we see, uh, immediately God saying this family, my people, the people ruling and the people reigning in Israel, the people that I've called to, to represent me on this earth. Your time is up. I am devising against you an evil a thing that, will, that is going to bring you to your knees and bring you to rock bottom so that you will focus on me once again. Um, it, verse 4, In that day they shall take up against you a taunt song and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portions of my people, how he removes it from me, to an apostate he allots our fields, and therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. And what we're ultimately going to see here is that what Micah is promising is what eventually will happen is that they are taken to captivity. Jerusalem, their cities, all this property they're 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 taking from their fellow man. Eventually, none of them have. And they're all brought to ruin as a conquering army comes in and takes it all away from them. The sword point, done. And they lose it all. And it's taken away from them as the Assyrians, the Babylonians come in. There won't even be a person left there. Verse 5 says, it's such a weird wording. Uh, uh, there will be none left to cast, by, cast the line by lot. This is sort of a picture of the auction block. There'll be no one there on Israel to represent the Israelites to even claim the land back. They're all taken away and gone. Like, this is all foreigners coming in and God will give them this land. God will give them this property in judgment. So, there, so all this scheming, all this evil, all this injustice being done, God will just wipe it off the map. And it will all kind of reset to zero as people who aren't his will take it and make it theirs. Because ultimately, I mean, what we understand here is that uh, the people in verse, verses 1 and 2 are not robbing just from their fellow man. Who are they robbing from? They're robbing from God. They're sinning against God. They're, they're, they're taking what god has given to his people away. He they're they they're robbing god And god says this is mine. I'll do what I want to with it Here you take it and he gives it to their neighbors They will ask again in this text they, they sort of say How could god do this? In um, that day they will take up a taunt. They will say uh, he changes the portions of my people He removes it from me. He's giving it to my neighbors. How could god do that? well again This is what God promised them would happen. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I'm going to read a portion of this, but I encourage you to go read it on your own. Huge set of texts that has two simple parts to it. The first one says this, blessed will you be, and then there's a whole list of things, blessed will you be. Uh, in your house and in your garage and, and outside and inside and in your fields. And, and, and he just says, I'll bless you upside down and inside out every way I possibly can. I'm going to bless you if you follow me and obey my commandments. Super simple. Obey me. Follow me. But then we get to the next part. But if you do not obey me, this will happen to you. So I'm going to read a portion of what he says will happen to them if they don't obey. Verse 16 of chapter 28 says, Cursed will you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the field, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. That's a portion of the opposite of what God has promised them if they would just follow Him and obey Him. Do justice, do the things God has called you to do. Love your neighbor as yourself love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If his people would do those things, God says, I will rain so much blessing on you. You won't know what to do with it. And he did when they were faithful. But when they're not faithful to God, God then says, here's what's going to happen to you. Another section, your sons and daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall only be oppressed and crushed continually. The consequences of disobeying and running from their God. Another section. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you have set over you a nation. Uh, I'm sorry. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you've set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone and you shall become a horror, a proverb, a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. Um, uh, you shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you will not anoint yourself with oil. And it and, and just continues to, to, to uh, uh, paint this picture and it ends with, you shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Or, he shall be the head and you will be the tail. You have this picture of God will lead them into slavery. He will lead them into captivity amongst another nation. And then sure enough, that's exactly what happens as they continue onward. As they continue to rebel against their God, as they continue to do injustice against their neighbor, God does lead them into captivity amongst the Babylonians, eventually the Persians. And then we'll get to it here in a minute, but then God restores his people, which is the good news. But he says, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you they will be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. So again, here we are. As God as Micah is preaching this to God's people. God's people are not ignorant of this. They know this. They recite these laws in the temple all the time. They've heard this throughout their life that obey me. My people, God's people, obey me. Do what I've said. Obey my commandments. Love one another. Help one another. And I will bless you. But if you don't, woe unto you. Woe. My curses will fall upon you. And here we have Micah telling him, it's coming. It's coming. Against my family, I will bring this. I want you to hear the heart of God in this. This is not a a, a little kid with a magnifying glass over the anthill, just, just hoping to have fun burning his own people. It is not that. This is a God disappointed with his people wanting his people to repent and turn from what they're doing and he says it's coming i will remove you from this place all this land you've schemed to get will belong to someone else not yourselves you see this injustice was amongst god's people what was god's people's response to that look at verse six do not preach thus they preach one, one should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You see, when they're told the truth, God's people rebelled against the very truth they were being told—the uh, sinful response of humanity—that our, our total depravity within us, when we hear the truth, it can often be blame-shifting. It's God's fault, it's someone else's fault. God will understand. God can't judge me, or only God can judge me. You've all heard that before, I'm sure. See, their injustice will bring about justice. That's what's going to happen. So, so what does the scripture kind of say here? Um, do not preach. They, they don't want to hear what he has to say. And, and of course, we have a New Testament uh, uh, kind of a point to that, that an overlap to that out, out of 2 Timothy 4.3, which tells us that people will accumulate for themselves preachers and teachers who will scratch their itching ears. Right? That's what they want. They, they want someone who's going to preach to them goodness and, and God loves us so much. He's going to overlook everything we've ever done. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Keep, 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 just don't worry about it. Don't don't preach that negativity stuff. You can't, you can't grow a church that way. You can't increase the body that way by preaching against sin. Like, like just, just love people and tell them how much God loves them is for them. God's going to bless them and give them a wonderful life, right? That is what they want. They want to hear the good stuff. They don't want to hear the bad stuff. Go ahead and go to verse 7. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who, tra- who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. So what would what they do? They, 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 were, they should have been doing the opposite of all those things. Um, the picture here is a, a man is returning from war. All he has left is his coat. And they even take that from him. What should they have done? This, this, this man that's, that's thinking he's in peace has now been accosted and, and they've taken from him the only thing he has left. They should have clothed him. They should have helped him. They should have restored him. They should have done the things for him that he needed to live and, and, do the th- and, and help him out. And they don't. They, they, they take from him instead of give to him. Uh, the women and children, they drive them out of their houses. What should they have done? No, they should have helped them. They they should have sustained them and and protected them. They've done the opposite of that. They should have continued to proclaim the law and the covenants uh, uh, from the the Bible to their kids. And instead, God says, you've taken my splendor from them. You've robbed from them my presence and my and my my and and my 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 gloriousness. You've taken it from them for your own gain. You see, everyone here, is a victim of their injustice. It's not just, it's not just uh, landowners. It's not, it's not just people with property and that type of thing. It's, it's not some random group. It's everyone. They are ruining God's people with their greed and with their sin. And again, as we keep reading, they say, um, verse 10, arise and go. This is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with grievous destruction If a man should go about and utter wind and lies saying, I will preach to you of strong drink and wine, he would be the preacher of this people. Hear that indictment. Hear Hear that accusation. If I were to send among you a man who said, drink all you want and eat all you want, that's the goodness of God. That's it. That would be the people that they would want to listen to. The itching ears. The itching ears. They want the guy who's going to come in And preach to them hope when there is no hope. And preach to them peace when there is no peace. And preach to them rest when there is no rest. They want to hear the good stuff. They don't want to hear the truth. We are guilty of that, church. All of us are at times. And you know that. No one wants to sit here and preach on sin. Stinks. I don't want to preach this. It stinks. But yet, I have to preach it and you have to hear it. Because if we don't, We run the risk of God's judgment. We have to be prepared for the truth. We have to listen to the truth when it's presented to us. And here Micah says, (laughs) if I were to come in preaching, not the woe of God, but the blessings of God, while you're in the midst of total rebellion against him, that's what you want to hear. That's what you want. We're not going to do that. And he preaches the truth to them. Micah, though, does not leave his people helpless or hopeless. And that's the beauty of this text as we get toward the end of it. As we get to verse 12, he says, he gives a promise, an amazing promise. And it's one of those promises that is echoed throughout the scriptures. When God's people have faced injustice, when they faced uh, both in, but when they face justice from God in particular, that God is going to judge them for what they've done, there's never just a God has abandoned you and left you to your own devices. No, there's always a promise that comes after that, that I will restore you. I will bring you back to myself. We're going to get that. But also when God's people have faced their own injustices, when, when, when we know that the enemy is out there ready to kill us for our faith, when we know the enemy is out there ready to take from us uh, and, and harm us because of the gospel, we know there's a promise there as well, right? We know that God will not let that be the last word. God will bless us. He will bring us to himself. uh, I like Paul's words uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Basically, he says, if if you kill me and put me in prison, I'll just convert all the household of uh, of the Roman emperor. And uh, if you kill me, I get to be in the presence of the Lord. Do your best. What are you going to do to me? Uh, Paul just just spits right in their face and says, do what you want with me. I'm going to win no matter what. That is the Christian response to pretty much everything in our life. Hit us as hard as you want. We'll get right back up and keep preaching. Or if we die, darn, we're with Jesus. What a terrible place to be, right? That's the Christian promise. It's amazing. And yet here we see that even though God is going to fix Israel's injustice by taking them into captivity, Micah then delivers a promise to them. I will surely, verse 12, assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach and goes up before them, they break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. And we get this picture of, of, of the sheepfold. We get this picture of the shepherd leading the sheep into green pastures. Uh, as, as we see throughout scripture, uh, this is a common picture of God leading his people into paradise, in, in, into the promised land, into where the pastures are green, Psalm 23, right? Where he prepares a table in, in front of us in, in the presence of our enemies where he restores our souls. We get this picture. But you have to understand this sort of in the context of sheep rearing, right? Like when, when God calls us sheep, that's not really a compliment. It, it, it's not a compliment. Go, and, go and play that, Mike. Little, little, uh, Little visual, right? Maybe you've seen this. It's one of my favorite videos on the internet. For those listening, he pulls the sheep out of a, of a out of a ditch and whoop right back in. <laughs> Look, I, like, I don't remember when this video came out. It was a couple of years ago, but I mean, every preacher I saw on Facebook said, "Everyone, watch this. This is the picture of Christian life." A men amen amen this is us this is why god calls us sheep this is why the analogy of the sheep herder god being our shepherd and us being sheep is so true because sheep are stupid they are dumb and and i used to show cows at 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 the state fair and things like that and i I had friends who their 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 show animal was a sheep oh my goodness the stupidity in one pen is enormous (laughs) sheep are dumb and folks As sinful, total depraved human beings, we are that way too. We are so quick to forget. We are so quick to abandon our God. We're so quick to run the opposite direction of where we know we should go. Do you think that sheep didn't want to be out of that pit? Of course it did. And yet, right back in. That is the Christian walk. And so we have this picture here of a noisy, bleeding group of people that are the remnant of God. And when that word remnant is used, that's a very particular word in the Old Testament. It's not just a word that just describes anybody. No, the remnant is the believers of Yahweh, the people who follow Yahweh, their God, the remnant, the people who belong to God. Israel was a giant nation full of people, and they were all called his people. They were his nation, and yet within Israel was the remnant, the people who truly believed. The true believers, the ones who followed their God, who obeyed their God. And yes, they would be amongst the people here who would be taken into captivity. But there's hope. The hope is, is yes, you will be taken into captivity as well, along with the people doing injustice. You will be taken. You will be forced to serve in families and and to pick other people's orchards. You will be forced to do that. But your God will bring you back to himself. Your God will rescue you. And ultimately, it's for their own good. Ultimately, it's so that they will remember to love their God and to love their neighbor. Um, Isaiah 53, of course, is the most famous picture of this. And I'll read this out loud. It should be on the screen. As it speaks of prophetically the coming Messiah, the one who will lead his people, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was... Pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, this promise at the end of Micah is this promise in Isaiah that one day there will come one who will do justice. He will eliminate injustice. Who will restore to the man who was stolen from what was his. Who will give to him the promises of God and they will not go away. You see, this, this person is Jesus. And while this promise will come years later, this promise is for the people that Micah is speaking to. Trust in your God, is what he's telling them. Trust in him. He will redeem you, he will bring you back to himself. And he does. After captivity, 70 years later, right back in to the land of Israel, as Israel is restored, God brings back his people. They're able to worship him again. And God fulfills this promise in part here, but in fullness in Jesus. You see, you are that sheep that it speaks of in this text. We are the sheep that Micah is speaking of here. We are those people. You need a shepherd to steer you the right way. And so today is that day to trust in that shepherd. If you've never done that before, if you've never trusted in Jesus, you have to understand he is the only one worth following. He will lead you correctly. So as we kind of wrap this up a little bit, three points of application from this text. Um, as, As we talk about the fact that God's people here in the book of Micah, one, Some of them are a victim of injustice. They've been robbed from. They've been taken from. But the thrust of Micah chapter 2 is God's pronouncement of woe against those who are committing injustice. So what does that mean for us as Christians? How do we read Micah chapter 2 and then translate it upwards a couple thousand years to today? And so, and and, and Micah Micah sort of said this, and I'll say this as well. That is the difficulty of preaching and interpreting the Old Testament and and, and then relaying it to us. How do we take from this something that happened to the Israelites and then make it about us? Well, in general, it's not about us. It's about who God is and what he's promised and what he said. But two is, do we not see the pattern of humanity here? Of course we do. Uh, an old uh, preaching book that, that I love to read in college and stuff, they call this the fallen condition focus. Uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? I can't remember. Doesn't matter right now. Um, in, this, in, in this book that we did on preaching, this, this is the place where we look and we say, where can our humanity meet their humanity? Where, where can we see where our fallenness connects to the scripture's depiction of fallenness? Where can we see that at? And there's a couple of ways here that we can see it. The first one is this, is God's people must be just. Why? Because God is just. We know that God does what is right, that his na- by his very nature, God is just. God cannot do wrong. God cannot break a promise that he's made. God will always do for us what he's told us he will do. He will always do what he said he will do, period. God has never broken a promise. He's never told a lie. Therefore, God is just. Because what is injustice? Injustice is giving with one hand and taking with the other. Injustice is... I don't like you because of who you are and so therefore get out of my face. Those are the type of injustice that we see today and that's sort of the that's exactly the type of injustice that the Israelites saw here. See, injustice can be two different directions. It can be systemic, where it's built into the government, where it's built into the laws of the land, and it's, it's all kind of crashing down on the people that it's weighing on. And here we sort of see pictures of that, where the, the rulers and the people in power, they, they go to sleep thinking about how they can gain, and they wake up thinking about how they can gain, and that's all they think about. It can also be endemic. It can also just be part of society. We've definitely seen that in America. We've seen both, for sure. And so therefore, what is God's people's response to that? We must be just. The very first thing we should learn from this is don't be those people. Don't be these people. We are to trust in our God. We are to follow our God and to obey him and do what he's told us. That is what we're supposed to do. That is the Christian walk that we're supposed to call. That is what Christ has called us to. So if you're a believer here... The way you live, the way you treat others, the way you love one another, the way you help those who are helpless, that matters, does it not? It matters what you do with your life. It matters who you help. It matters what you do with your dollar. It absolutely does. So don't ignore the commandments and the things that God has told us. We must be just because our God is just. And then two is God's people must seek to eliminate injustice. Now that's hard. Because, again, some, ju- some injustices done are way above our heads. They're way above our pay grades. And yet, we know that Christians have a voice who can vote and do other things and spend their money in ways that begin to reduce the amount of injustices that are out there. Because our God is just, because his people are just, it should be very hard for us to look at, for instance, the guy in the video in the very beginning who was wrongfully accused of murder— It should be really hard for us to look at stories like that and turn our heads away and not do anything about them. God's people should have a voice that's crying out for things to change when they need to be changed. We should put our money toward that. We should put our time toward that. Put our effort toward that. Why? Because it it looks exactly like the opposite of our God. So therefore, for us, it should be like a blaring Christmas light in our face, just blinking, saying, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And so therefore, we should be people seeking to help alleviate that in whatever means and way that you have. All of us, as American citizens, have at least one way, don't we? And that is with our vote. So use it. Use, it to, use that in particular to eliminate just injustices that we see. Then beyond that, though, here in our church— Here in a moment, we're going to take up an offering every week. When we take up an offering money that you, that you give in goes toward helping those who helping the widows, helping the orphans, helping those, uh, impoverished and, and in places that need help. Uh, we do that every week as a church, as a church, we have a mission to use our resources to help those in these situations. So as you give, remember that. Remember that, that your money's not just going toward uh, uh, salaries and things like that. No, no. They are going toward helping preach the gospel to those stuck in these injustices and to help alleviate them. So remember that as here in a minute. But then third, God's people must point others toward the only just one, the truly just one. Because ultimately... In the book of Micah, what, what I want you to see here is just a little bit of this is Micah could have said, God's going to make you give all that back to the people that you took it from. And that would have been good, but it wouldn't have been the ultimate solution to the problem. God, he could have remedied this. He could have just made new land and, and gave it to him or whatever. That, that's sort of not the point. What does Micah end up promising to his people? He doesn't promise to them at the end of of chapter 2, all those of you who have faced injustice will get your land back, you're going to get your coat back, you're going to get your money back, everything's going to be kind of reset and put back to where it was. That's not their greatest need. Their greatest need is a shepherd. One who will lead them. One who will guide them. One who will save their soul and give them everlasting life. We were talking in the car this week with the kids. Uh, Maybe it was was either earlier this week or, or... and someone asked, what, they asked me, what was, what's heaven going to be like? Like, what, what are we going to be able to do there? And that's always one of those weird, fun questions as a pastor, or just even as a parent that you get to answer. Will we be able to blank in heaven, have a dog? Will we be able to uh, travel to Saturn or, you know, whatever? And, and my answer to that is always, probably. What can we not do when we're not bound to this earth with physical bodies that have to breathe and eat, probably anything we want. But that pales into comparison what God actually has in plan for us because the scripture says we can't even fathom or even begin to dream what God has in store for us. Now, now, I can dream of a lot of things, guys. I mean, sprout some wings and fly, let's do it. You know, whatever. You, You think in your brain all the good things that could come from being in heaven with God, from living in this universe as it's restored. It's going to be amazing. But you can dream all day long and you will not even scratch the surface of what God has in store for us and the riches and the blessings that we will inherit from our king. You can't even begin to think about that. That's what the people need. They don't need their possessions restored to them here. They need a savior more than anything. God's people need their God church you live in a world full of fallen people thinking that material possessions will save them that having more will help them and, re, and and give them purpose and meaning can i tell you right now the obvious answer is that they need jesus more than those things that they need to hear from your lips not just miss widow mr orphan i'm going to i'm going to help you i'm going to take care of you i'm going to take you into my house and feed you those are great things what do they need more than that? They need Jesus. They need a savior that they can trust in and have eternal life from, right? That's what they need. And so therefore, as Christians, our God is so good and so glorious. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave. That's what the people around us need most. And so that should be the first thing on our lips as we talk to those in, in need, for those facing injustice, for those in the midst of injustice. Our God is good. Our God is has infinite treasure and wisdom, and it's all yours if you just trust in Him. And it will last for eternity. Be the people of God who will tell them about Jesus, the truly just one, the one that for every person facing injustice, God will eventually make all that right. And for the unjust, Those who will not repent and will continue to harm their fellow man, he will bring justice to them, which is also good news. We think of Hitler, we think of guys like that, and we go, isn't it good that God did justice to people who would harm others and and kill them for no reason? And we all shake our heads and go, yes, that's good. That's good. Remember that. God will judge injustice. God will fix everything. He will wipe the slate He will punish those that it's due. He will save those who trust in him. And that's all good news. That's that's what Micah's saying in chapter two. God will fix injustice, but God will save those who trust in him. So as the band comes up, we're going to spend the last few moments of church here. We have some cool stuff coming right after the sermon, so just hang tight. Can't wait for that. We're going to praise the just one. We're going to praise the God that we follow who always does right, who always does what he promises. And again, as we, uh, we're going to take up an offering here at the end, uh, again, we want to remind you that a good portion of what you give goes toward helping injustice, to alleviate it, to help those in need, to help those who are struggling. And more importantly, as we support church plants, as we ch- support missions, as we support our pastors, it goes toward preaching the gospel to those who are lost. Because remember, that's the most important thing. We want to reach lost souls for the gospel so that they can trust in Jesus, believe on him, have eternal life, and enjoy all the blessings that come with knowing Jesus as their Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful this morning. I'm grateful that you have challenged us through Micah. Um, We see around us the effects of those who do injustice, And Lord, we see around us the cries of those in the midst of it. So Lord, do not make us blind to the cries. Do not make us hard-hearted to those who are committing it. Lord, we pray that your gospel would go forth. That your gospel would ring true in the ears of those listening. People would believe, trust in you. And Lord, we pray those things knowing you are a good and just God. And Lord, you're amazing to keep your promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen.